This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening, Nora's off tonight. I'm Maurice Dubois, and we're going to begin here with the outbreak of a mystery virus in China that has now spread, and the World, Organization, World Health Organization is on edge. At least four people have died, and hundreds more are sick, though there are concerns five times as many people could be infected. Tonight, Chinese health officials say the illness, which is a new strain of coronavirus, can be passed from person to person, stoking fears that it could be moving faster than it can be contained. Extra health screening has been ordered at airports in China, as well as at airports across the U.S. Experts say the virus started in the Chinese city of Wuhan, but it is now spreading across Asia. Remy Innocencio leads off our coverage tonight from ground zero of the outbreak in China. Tonight, the city of Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak, is racing to contain the potential spread of a deadly new strain of coronavirus. And now, a disturbing development. China today says it has confirmed cases of human-to-human transmission of the mystery illness. In one case, a hospital patient is said to have infected 14 medical workers. Airline workers are already doing temperature checks on some flights leaving Wuhan, not allowing passengers to deplane without getting one. CBS News obtained this video showing health officials in Wuhan in full hazmat gear at a treatment facility investigating the virus. The World Health Organization says an animal is probably the source of this new virus, and this now-closed seafood market is probably ground zero. This is as close as police will let us get. 
Dr. Anthony Fauci from the National Institutes of Health says human-to-human -human transmission is a game-changer. When you get sustained transmissibility from one person to another to another to another, then you have a more serious problem because then that would allow for a much broader type of an outbreak. In the United States, the CDC has deployed about 100 workers to airports in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco to screen passengers arriving from infected regions. People here are getting ready to make what's known as the world's biggest annual migration, making nearly three billion trips to celebrate Chinese New Year. And while the risk of a U.S. outbreak is still low, the CDC says it's something they're watching very carefully. Maurice? Okay, Ramey tonight in Wuhan, China. Thank you. Breaking news now on the president's impeachment trial. The Senate Majority Leader just released his proposed rules for the trial, which the Senate will debate tomorrow. This latest move by the Senate's lead Republican comes hours after the president's lawyers laid out their game plan for keeping him in office. Ben Tracy reports tonight from the White House. President Trump visited the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial today as his legal team previewed its strategy. In a more than 100-page pretrial brief, the president's lawyers call the case against him flimsy, a brazenly political act, and the result of a rigged process. We're achieving what no administration has ever achieved before. And what do I get out of it? Tell me. I get impeached. The president's defense notably does not deny that he pressured Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter, but argues rather that Democrats have failed to show President Trump violated any laws. Um, I can't uh, respond to questions right now. The House managers who will prosecute the case against the president met on Capitol Hill today. In their own pretrial documents, they call President Trump the framers' worst nightmare come to life. Late today, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell released his proposed trial rules expected to be voted on tomorrow. Each side will get 24 hours over two days to make their opening statements. That means senators may have to endure 12-hour sessions in a Republican effort to fast-track the trial. Democrats are hoping to persuade at least four Republicans to force the testimony of witnesses, such as White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and former National Security Advisor John Bolton, who says he's willing to testify. We are going to demand votes, yes or no, up or down, on the four witnesses we've requested and on the three sets of documents we requested. But Senator Schumer is not likely to get those witnesses, at least not right away. And that's because Senator McConnell says he's not going to even consider the idea of allowing witnesses to testify until they get through these opening arguments and up to 16 hours of senators' questions. Maurice? Okay, Ben Tracy at the White House tonight. Thank you. Hundreds of police were out in force today as gun rights supporters rallied outside of Virginia's capital. The Titan security came after more than a week of threats and violence and the governor after he declared a state of emergency. Jeff Begay's reports tonight from Richmond. 22,000 gun rights supporters came out today, many armed to the teeth, some dressed in fatigues. Others had handguns on their hips. I carry it with me every day. And rifles draped across their chests. You see people that want to stand up and keep their guns because it's our right to do that, defend ourselves in a time of danger. Thomas Steele came here from West Virginia. I actually brought two guns, but um, I brought a smaller gun. I usually have an AK-47, but that's quite the scary rifle. But uh, I decided to bring out the 22 because nobody's shooting nothing today. 
Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency, which banned all weapons on Capitol building grounds and brought with it extremely tight security. On Capitol grounds, right in there beyond this fence, this is where the state of emergency is, where you can't bring any weapons. But just beyond the fence, a lot of guns. There are probably thousands of them out here, far outnumbering what law enforcement has. The extra security came following the arrest of three members of a white supremacist group threatening to come to the rally to cause a race war. But today's event ended peacefully. Gun control advocates had called for a counter protest out here today, but in the end that was called off out of concerns that it could have led to confrontations. Maurice. Okay, Jeff Pegues in Richmond tonight. Thank you. Tonight, Prince Harry and his wife Meghan are on their own. Harry says he's taking a leap of faith by giving up his royal duties to lead a more peaceful life. Charlie Daggett on what he's had to give up. Prince Harry attended an African investment summit this morning in what may be one of his last official royal engagements after the Queen laid down strict instructions for Harry and Meghan's farewell from the royal family. Farewell to the use of their royal titles, no his or her royal highness. Farewell to public funding. Farewell to Harry's military titles awarded after serving two terms in Afghanistan. A harder exit than anyone was expecting. Once Meghan and I were married, we were excited, we were hopeful, and we were here to serve. For those reasons, it brings me great sadness that it has come to this. A sadness he shared last night with the HIV charity sent to Bale. I was born into this life, and it is a great honor to serve my country and the Queen. When I lost my mum 23 years ago, you took me under your wing. Johnny Hornby is the chairman of Bali, a charity Harry founded in tribute to his late mother, Diana. How much of this is about her legacy? I think he thinks, you know, quite deeply on some of these issues about what it would be that she would want him to do in certain circumstances. I will continue to be the same man who holds his country dear and dedicates his life to supporting the causes charities and military communities that are so important to me. We are taking a leap of faith, so thank you for giving me the courage to take this next step. And tonight, Prince William and Kate hosted their first solo reception on behalf of the Queen here at Buckingham Palace. Prince Harry did not attend. He's reportedly already on his way to Canada to meet up with Meghan and Archie. Maurice? Okay, Charlie Daggett in London, thank you. Americans honored the memory of Martin Luther King today. Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. King once preached, was packed for a celebration. While 5,000 volunteers turned out for a day of service in Philadelphia, and people marched along Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in New Orleans. But Adriana Diaz takes us to another street where a tribute to Dr. King has divided a city. When Kansas City's historic Paseo Boulevard was renamed for Dr. King last year, Reverend Dr. Vernon Howard Jr. thought of the children who would see it. I was a young boy walking up and down the street when I was exposed to people who were conscious of my struggles. It was an inspiration to me. But it soon became a dream deferred. When the decision came down to remove his name, what was that like for you? Pain, disappointment. Betrayal. 
Paseo is one of our oldest boulevards. Kelly Jones lives on the street and says many are attached to the name Paseo. Upset that all residents weren't consulted, her group, Save the Paseo, fought for a public vote, and 65% of voters chose Paseo. You know, some people hearing about this story for the first time may be surprised or find it interesting that a black community would oppose this renaming. We're not opposing the renaming. We just simply want it to be heard. Kansas City, Missouri is again one of three big cities without a street named after Dr. King. That isn't the reputation Mayor Quinton Lucas wants. Nobody wants to see a headline on the CBS Evening News that says Kansas City did this thing. We will make sure that we recognize Dr. King both this year, long into the future. These signs will come down soon, and the public is submitting new ideas for a tribute. Shakespeare talked about what's in a name, and I think we learned from this that there can be a heck of a lot especially when the name is Martin Luther King Jr. Adriana Diaz, CBS News, Kansas City, Missouri. Well, you can circle these dates on your calendar. One year from today, the next presidential inauguration takes place. And in exactly two weeks, the first votes in the Democratic race will be cast in Iowa, where tonight there is no clear frontrunner. Ed O'Keefe reports tonight on where things stand. They may be fierce rivals, but the candidates displayed political harmony today at Martin Luther King Jr. Day events in South Carolina. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who sparred last week over whether a woman can be elected president, walked arm in arm at an MLK Day parade in Columbia. Former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg marched in Little Rock, Arkansas. And here in Iowa, the rest of the field took turns addressing leaders of this state's small, but in tight races like this year, politically influential black and Latino communities. Let's not pretend that if we, when we, replace this president, that everything's just going to get better. Because a lot of these problems have been mounting for a long time. Nationwide, former Vice President Joe Biden holds a commanding lead among black voters, the most loyal Democratic voting bloc. To paraphrase Dr. King, we have guided missiles but we have misguided men leading this nation. He's also got a lead among seniors, despite recent accusations from Sanders that Biden wants to make cuts to Social Security. Time and time again, uh, Joe Biden has been clear in supporting cuts uh, to Social Security. I have been a gigantic supporter of Social Security from the beginning. Meanwhile, the New York Times has taken the unusual step of endorsing two Democrats for president, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. But in a sign of their current focus, they're highlighting endorsements from newspapers here in Iowa. Maurice? Okay, Ed O'Keefe in Des Moines tonight. Now to some important medical news. New research today shows a link between marijuana and heart risks. This could affect a lot of people. More than 2 million adults with cardiovascular disease say they've used marijuana. Here's Dr. Tara Narula on the new risks of smoking pot. 59-year-old Juan Jacques is vigilant about taking his heart medication. That's because four years ago, he had a heart attack. And they asked me the question, do you know why you're here? I said, I don't. I'm just feeling chest pain and I was brought to the hospital. Jacques occasionally smoked cigarettes, but he regularly smoked marijuana. His cardiologist, Dr. Mutu Vadagunathan, says many users like Jacques do not understand how marijuana can impact cardiac health. A review of data found smoking marijuana is linked with increased heart rate and blood pressure, altered heart muscle and blood vessels, and increased risk for abnormal heart rhythms. With 11 states now legalizing recreational marijuana and vaping cannabis products becoming more popular, doctors are sounding a note of caution. Vaping 
increases the drug delivery of marijuana, and so we anticipate that the cardiovascular effects would also be enhanced. Another troubling finding, marijuana can interfere with commonly used cardiac medications, including some drugs for blood pressure and cholesterol-lowering statins. The authors recommend cardiologists screen patients for marijuana use and find out how much they use, how often, and about other drugs they use. Tonight, police in Honolulu believe a man who shot and killed two police officers may be dead after it appears he set his home on fire shortly after shooting at police. The flames spread throughout his Waikiki neighborhood on Sunday. Investigators believe the bodies of two women may also be inside, but they have not recovered any of them. Police were called to the home after the suspect stabbed his landlord. Australia cannot catch a break. First the wildfires and then today golf ball sized hail pounded the capital Canberra covering the ground and damaging homes, businesses and cars. Farther west a 186 mile wide dust storm engulfed entire towns racing across the drought stricken land at terrifying speeds. And this was homecoming day in San Diego. The aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln is back after a 294 day deployment breaking a record record for the post-Cold War era. The more than 3,000 crew members were supposed to return in October, but were extended four times. The Navy made it official today. For the first time, an aircraft carrier will be named for an African-American, David Martin, on the hero who inspired a break from tradition. You've heard the roll call of American aircraft carriers, Washington, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Kennedy, almost all of them named for American presidents. But now there will be one called the USS Doris Miller. His story deserves to be remembered and repeated wherever our people continue to stand the watch today. At a ceremony in Pearl Harbor, Acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley officially named the next carrier after the son of sharecroppers and the grandson of slaves, who served in the segregated Navy of World War II which did not allow him to handle weapons. He was not given the same opportunities that men of a different color were given to serve his country. But on December 7th, 1941, he would not be defined by the prejudice of other peoples. What Miller did that day has been dramatized in the movie Pearl Harbor. But Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, who grew up hearing stories about Dory Miller, explained what it meant. Because in the days of real segregation, a black man from my hometown had stepped up to help save America. Three of Miller's nieces were at today's ceremony. One of them, Brenda Haven, told us what today would mean to his mother. She'd be so honored to know that someone is caring about her son because she left this world thinking nobody did. The name of a ship won't erase decades of prejudice and cruelty, but Modley said it can serve as a symbol of Martin Luther King Jr.'s belief that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. Whenever the people of the world will see the USS Doris Miller, they will know what we value, what we stand for, and who we are as a people. My uncle, he's alive in our hearts, and he's alive in America. David Martin, CBS News, Washington. An American hero forever. 
On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, day one of the Senate impeachment trial. We'll have complete coverage of this historic event. And that is tonight's CBS Evening News for Nora O'Donnell. I'm Maurice Dubois in Washington. Have a good night. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.